Hey, Dinks! Welcome to Dennis in the Know. This is your backstage pass for current trends, politics, and education in the dental world. I'm Dr. Jeff Horowitz. With me is Dr. Jennifer Bell. You know her as JB and Dr. Chad Duplantis. We are all practicing dentists, we are all educators, and we are all business owners. Our job is to bring all of you in the know. Hey everybody, uh, it's a wonderful Wednesday night. It is our 105th happy hour. You're seeing my face because Jeff Horowitz cannot be with us tonight. He is actually on a flight to Seattle. And so therefore, you're stuck with me. So you didn't get the whole, hey gang, it's Wednesday, grab a cocktail, whatever. But you got the, hey everybody, glad you're here. I am super excited about our guest tonight. But first off, let me bring up Dr. Jennifer Bell, and we'll see what's going on in her world, and maybe she's got a little news for us, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Hey, JB. I'm a little disappointed in that intro. You know, like, no hey, y'all, it's hot as crap down here in Texas. We're sweating profusely out of our eyeballs. Let me tell you, it is hotter than hell down here right now. And I think that your sister might be getting rain right now. Right. But, but like the line is going to totally dissipate by the time it hits us. I put so much into this yard in April because we lost so much in February. Oh, right. And um, it looks awful right now. It looks awful. And it's just... It, your it was elite HOA is going to kick you out. Have you ever been in cloudy and 110 degree weather? Uh, oh, and cloudy and windy. No, I can't say I have. That was today. And humidity, like thick. Yeah, so it was like you were in a convection oven without the lights on. Like a mini bake oven for girls. Like yeah. Girls, because it's a slow death. Like yeah, it's totally death. not like an instant death. Yeah, it Pain. totally sucked. Totally sucked. It was horrible. So your week is going great. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, it couldn't, it couldn't, couldn't be any better. Yeah, we have a husband and wife on tonight. I'd like to do a Dr. Phil episode if we could. Right now? Yeah, let's start it off. I got to work on my story. Okay. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Okay, they got to work on theirs too. They're feverishly writing below. Introduce yes. our guests. Okay, I would love to. So let me introduce to you guys tonight, Ed and Ann Combs. Did you get that correctly, Chad? Wait a second. Hold on. Yeah, forget it. You said that we had the Supernatural people, Ed and Lorraine Warren, on tonight. Stop it. Anyway, I'm, I'm okay. really excited to have them on. First off, they live in my home state of North Carolina. Two, Ann has become a good friend uh, through studying with Master Track with the AGD. So we have that in common. And we were chatting not that long ago at one of our courses, doing nerdy things that we do. <laughs> and she was telling me a little bit more about her husband and his journey and, and you know, what he does for a living and, and what their relationship, not too detailed and just so we know, <laughs> but, you know, just a little bit of an insight kind of in their journey. And, and I immediately said, I would love for you to come on our show because I think, um, I think this is a topic that we really need to bring to light. Um, so let me introduce to you Anne, who is a dentist, and her husband, Ed, who is a therapist and a chief financial planner. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, he's 
marrying those two um, disciplines together, creating a very eye-opening experience for what money relationships look like for marriages. And I think, frankly, in dental partnerships and also just good um, personal insight into your own money issues, personality styles, the four uh, nuances that you find yourself in. And, and we're going to talk more about that so that even if you're not married or, you know, or, or at any point, if you're going to enter into a relationship where money may be involved, it is good to have a good financial IQ. Um, and so with that, I would like to welcome our guest tonight. And Ed, if you want to spend just a few minutes to kind of walk us through your beautiful journey of what has led you to this platform and stage that you find yourself on. Not tonight, because this is low rent, but like the bigger stuff. (laughs) Well, you know, all great comedians start in dive bars. And uh, that's pretty much my story, too, as a as a aspiring great financial therapist. Wait, financial therapist. What is that a thing? It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, see, right. Already. This is why I'm here with you guys is because anybody that will take me, I'll talk to. I love it. The old lady on the plane, the nice dental podcast people that my wife is like, hey, come on. (laughs) You know, to talking to CNBC reporters, CNN reporters, Time reporters, and everywhere in between, right? It's no secret. We all have a relationship with money. We all get frustrated, angry, embarrassed, feeling shamed about money at some point in our journey through life. And some of us live in that those emotional states a lot more of the time than others. And so that's what I get to do is help people deal with all the difficult emotions and thoughts and behaviors that come up around money. So how did you get, did you start as a therapist and then move into the financial world? Did you start as a that's financial a, planner yeah. and then realize? Oh, no. I, well, I'll let Ann share her story in just a moment, but I pulled the world's greatest bait and switch on her. The thing is, I didn't even know I was doing it. That's how good I was. So when she was in dental school racking up student loan debt, I was busy being a professional firefighter accumulating no debt. And we met and she was like, you don't have any debt and you're going to college? I was like, and I have a retirement account. She's like, you have a, a, a what? And he had a house. And yeah, he had everything that I didn't have that I was like in so much debt for. But I was like, oh, you're a firefighter. This will be great. And maybe if I start working, he's like, yeah, I think I might want to be a stay at home dad. I'm not sure I want to run into burning buildings anymore. And I was like, money, this is amazing. And he's like, hell, and I'd have married him too. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Well, you know, we were all over it. But yeah. yeah, he was a firefighter. And then I was like, okay, I've gone through all this school I can possibly go through. And then I did my GPR. We moved to Charlotte. I was like, okay, we're good. So yeah, he got his MBA. And then he's like, I need to get my CFP. So then he became a certified financial planner, took a little pause. Then he's like, I think I really want to do counseling. I've always been interested in psychology. So then he got a master's in counseling. And then he was done. Then he's like, I think I want to do a PhD. I want to be a doctor too. Well, hell, bring it on. We're going to have all the degrees. You're going to have way more letters behind your name than mine. So then, yeah, then he ended up doing a master's in financial planning. So yeah, his letters go on and on and on and on and on. But he's really qualified. Chad, you know, very smart. Chad, you know what they say about guys in Texas with big trucks? 
Yes, I do. Yes, well, we use that phrase quite often. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And JB, you said let's keep the profanity and the explicit. No, stuff. that's it's good. That's good. So I'm flirting with that. No, but, no. You know, it, if we really want to go a little bit deeper, Ed, it's dodge. Dodge is the pro- the, the problematic one. <laughs> oh, well, I won't tell my Ford friends that because they seem to say that about the Dodge guys. Yeah, Dodge is is problematic. Ford and Chevy are. Just a little bit less douchey, but Dodge is definitely problematic. That's the bad one. See, you know, these were the things we argued about in the fire station. Yeah. Oh, I bet. The worst truck to drive. Anyhow. So, yeah. But, you know, Anna and I meet and she's enamored with what I've got going on. Meanwhile, I'm enamored with what she's got going on because I'm thinking like, I've never met a doctor to be. This is Mm -hmm. crazy. And, you know, I'm like in her apartment or I don't remember where, but I start reading like dental economics journals because oh, uh, yeah. she, she was doing hair and makeup. And I was like, what else am I going to do? So, yeah. And I kind of knew doctors made more than firefighters. I mean, that's not hard to figure out, but I didn't really know. And then I see the numbers and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's a lot more money than I make. Um, how do you manage that? <laughs> like, what yeah. do you do with that? Like, you know, and, Listen, I sat around the firehouse and the guys complained about two things, their wives and money. Sorry, guys. That's really the reality. And so, you know, I was like, you know, the simple and obvious solution is learn how money works. And then you won't have any money conflicts. Was it always that easy? No, no. No, you know, I think we got off to a pretty good start in the first handful of years. And I used my masterful Dave Ramsey skills to pay off debt and yeah. to get us focused. And man, we were cooking with fire. But, you know, three or four years roll on and, you know, you hear, oh, you're married to a doctor. Oh, you're married to a doctor. Oh, you're married to a doctor. And it's like, oh, yeah. What? A, what but what about me? And so the, my own insecurities start bubbling and, Your answer, uh, Ed, should have been, no, I'm not married to a doctor. It's just a dentist. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> so brutal. I, I heard it from my son today, okay? My son is the comedian in our house. He says it to me all the time. So I had to throw it out there. Sorry. No I only offense. subscribe to that when there's a medical emergency on the plane. I'm like, no. That, that was not sexist or anything. That was just anti-dentite. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> yeah, part, interestingly enough, like, so your dink is, you know, your podcast. Uh, and so dentist in the know, we were dinks of a different type, the dual Double income. income right? no. We had a big group of dual income, no kid families. And we yeah. got together all the time, did all sorts of fun stuff. Super carefree. Finances didn't seem to be an issue because they kind of yeah. weren't. We were both working. We had insurance benefits from his corporate job at the time and like life was pretty easy and I was an associate. And so I was making, you know, just taking home a paycheck. It was pretty easy at that point. But then uh, we had the, uh, we, we, I had (laughs) the inspiration that I want to go back to school to be a therapist and, you know, we were ready for a kid. And so honey, the brilliant idea is I found this graduate program. It's at a seminary and the program is on the weekends, Friday night and all day Saturday. So we can have a kid. I'll watch him during the week while you work. And then I'll go to school and you can watch the kid. And so we worked into that transition. And I got to hang out with all of her friends during the week at their houses with their babies and ours. <laughs> and my buddies. Oh, by the way, my buddy's wives and, yeah. and went to work. And it was kind of awkward meeting up with our yeah. friends on the weekend yeah. when 
I had more to relate to with the wives than I did the husbands who were grinding it out and trying to make money to support their families. Eh, you know, like I'm an enlightened guy. I'm look, my values perfectly say women make as much money to go do your thing. I'm, but inside yeah. eh, didn't quite mesh yeah. up so much. So trying to figure all that stuff out, you know, I have a parents, she has parents surprise, you, you know, most of us do. Yeah. And, you know, our parents have their own kind of wonky things that happen with money. And we're kind of watching some of those things unfold. I'm like, what, what in the world is going on here? So it just came out of this real need to try to better understand what's going on for us, what's going on for our family. How do I better help? Because just telling people what to do with money doesn't, work. doesn't seem to work. Right. And so, so in your book, you talk about the four types of attachment. Yeah. Yeah. With money. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a major psychological theory called attachment theory, and it grows out of the study of how we form our intimate, form our uh, relationships starting in our earliest caregiving environment. So the way our parents tend to us then translates into a relationship map in our brain that we then bring into our adult intimate relationships. Does that track pretty well, I think? I'm Googling it. We're good. Okay. okay. I was like, I, I was like, would I lose him? I think no. I no, like, no I really, I, I, I'm fascinated by this. So I was like typing, feverishly typing it in. I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to be able to reference. I'm good. Yes, absolutely. So mm-hmm. attachment theory is a major psychological theory. It's used a lot in the field of counseling, especially couples counseling to try to understand and predict what's going on between a couple, right? Like in dentistry, you have lots of science that helps you know, like what's, you're talking about monkey disease and all that stuff, right? We sit around and we're talking about like, hey, how did people's parents mess them up? What's the prediction? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, mom and dad. We love you. Um, well, you're messing up your own kids now. It's fine. Yes, well, we just want to find out for 20 years what they Yeah, doing. it just balances out. Yeah, well, that's part of the goal was to mess them up less. A little less. Yes, yes. Yeah. We'll see how, how, how well the goal is met. <clears throat> but um, the four types are secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. And so the very high level, if you're securely attached, that means you're generally comfortable with yourself. You're generally comfortable in an intimate interpersonal relationship. When you feel distressed, you can turn to that other person and say, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. And they're going to respond if they're also secure and say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That must be difficult. Do you want to talk more about it? That kind of thing, right? If you're anxiously attached, you typically have a lower view of yourself and a higher view of other people. And you're always, you're kind of that people pleaser, right? You're wanting to be liked and accepted and you'll go to great lengths to have that happen, but it doesn't always feel like it lands. And even if you do get affirmation, you're doing a good job, it doesn't sink in. That's this guy. That's what I'm saying. Exhibit A. B. Okay. Here. (laughs) Yes. The other side of that is the avoidant dismissive type. There you're cold arm keep you at an arm's length distance i'm gonna do me you do you and because i can't really trust that other people will be there to know my needs so why bother asking or trying and if you have emotional problems well that's on you why are you coming to me with your stuff that fourth category disorganized vacillates back and forth between those two positions mm-hmm. so that's the psychological un, um, <clears throat> framework that then comes into how we make money decisions so if you reflect back to what we were just talking about with that story, 
anxious attachment type, always trying to please my wife, never really sure that I have. And even though when she reassures me, I'm okay, I'm good, you're fine. Yes, honey. Dismissive. I I don't feel that way. I'm missing it. And so it's really set, you know, an ongoing dynamic that I think we've gotten much better at understanding. We have vocabulary to talk about it. She now realizes like she's not doing something wrong because her husband's chronically insecure. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually true. So, but you know, I mean, it's a little tiring hearing your husband like, are you sure you love me? Are you like, yeah, I'm being a little extreme, but it would, it would show up in a lot of different ways over time. And it's, that the money dynamic has only magnified those layers of insecurity. And so as we've worked through that, and I've now spent the last eight, nine years as a couples therapist working with many couples, that pattern is so familiar and so prevalent in couples that are coming to meet me that what we're really working on is their relational health so that they can actually make effective financial decisions together. But I help them bridge that relationship. And do you see, um, do you see your financial relationships the same from your personality in your personal and also in your business? Um, does it manifest itself differently? Does it look very similar or, you know, like how it, well, I mean, it's different, I guess, in some ways, because things at home, I have to discuss with Ed. I mean, we're, yeah. like, well, we've got to make the the household decisions together. It's a little bit different at work because I'm a solo private practitioner. So I don't have a partner or like multiple partners or, you know, a bunch of associates where I have to really kind of weigh in a lot of right. it. Um, <clears throat> I came from a couple associateships that were taught me a lot about what I didn't want to do in private practice. And when the opportunity came that I had to leave one and I was able to buy this practice, I was kind of grateful at that point in time to become a solo dentist and not have to deal with somebody else because of former problems. 10 years in, you know, as my kids are starting to get older, I'm kind of thinking like, it'd be nice to have somebody, even if it just means flexibility to travel or to be sick on those, you know, times that life happens. Um, But I guess related to the financial discussion, there's a lot more give and take. But I think generally, I feel more secure now. I will say 100% when I first owned the practice, I always deferred to Ed. He had left his job. He had more of the financial background. I had zero. And growing up, love my parents, but very, very little advice or insight. So you go to college, you get all the credit card offers, you know, I could have gone in a whole lot of trouble and debt as we all could have. I got lucky that I didn't in, you know, try to pay it off and had little, I guess, examples of good financial stewardship, but nothing explicit. So I kind of learned as I went, had I married somebody else, I think I probably could have gone down a very different path of not being great on retirement or responsibility with finances. But um, early on with owning the practice, I deferred to him. He did all the spreadsheets, all the projections, all the bill pay, all the everything. When stuff didn't get done, like if a bill maybe got paid late or something else, it got missed. I would get angry because I felt like I didn't know what was going on or we didn't have frequent enough meetings. And he was essentially operating kind of like an office manager. Right. And that was tough for me to swallow. And at a certain point when he had gone through a couple of graduate degrees and then he opened up his own financial therapy practice, 
it was important for him to be able to devote enough time to that to really grow it. So I had to take over. And in some ways, initially, it was kind of like, hey, just give it to me. I did this early on in our marriage when he was doing his MBA. I can handle this. This is fine. Give me some advice and help me in ways that you have training to do that. But from like the logistical everyday stuff, I've got it. And I think it helped when I finally jumped back more into my own finances. And so it was kind of, it seems a little backwards that I almost offloaded it too much. But when I took back over myself, I felt like I was more vested in the numbers in my own practice. And there's still things that I feel like I should do better. I should check more often on, you know, certain parts of the bank account or certain parts of the cash flow or certain reports and dentrics, but there's only so many hours in the day. Ultimately, I mean, you got multiple kids as well you got to get home and my kids are still young. So it's trying to balance out what's essential, what would be nice to do and what's kind of like a luxury. And so, um, but I think I'm more invested in it now, as far as our family finances, I do a lot of the logistical bill pay stuff and does more of the, the long-term planning. That's always been his best, uh, strength, I guess. And do you see a, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, Jen. go ahead, Jennifer. Please, ladies first. No, I mean you've been very quiet, so please. Well, you know, you made me forget what I was going to ask. Damn it! So go ahead, because I'm Always sure it's still effect. on the tip of your tongue. Well, I was going to ask Ed if he sees a difference. If you were to look at your therapy clients as a, as a collective yeah. group, those who own small businesses, maybe one person of that couple owns a small business, but in re- reality, you own it as a couple, even though right. you know, yep. it may not be your business. Right. Um, what one, do you see a difference between couples who have small business embedded as part of the relationship versus two that have corporate jobs or some, something else or, you know, and two, um, what are some of the challenges? Because many of our viewers, obviously, our small business owners are a part of small business. Right. What are some of the challenges or pitfalls that you know often will happen to either the small business owner or within the confines of a marriage as they're sort of balancing the, the dual roles? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges, whether you're a corporate or entrepreneur couple, is around spending and income, and because. Uh, for a lot of my corporate clients, as well as entrepreneurs, there's kind of this sense that, well, I can always just make more money. Yeah. And so what ends up happening, instead of having difficult money conversations about where spending's at and where it needs to go, they just bypass that and go and crank the financial will a little more to try to cover the money. The challenge is then you're working more and then there's more money. And so then more spending happens. So then you crank the will some more. And then you're <laughs> just running faster and faster to crank more and more money through the family system but you really haven't addressed the underlying issues. How much are we spending? Why are we spending so much? What's important to us as a couple? And it's that balance between, you know, kind of an abundance, unlimited mindset and reality, practicality and how hard do you want to work and being able to sit down and have those conversations with each other are really challenging and vulnerable. And, you know, it's easy to start feeling like you're stepping on each other's toes because you can't tell me what to do. And so how do you talk with each other about spending patterns without feeling like one's the parent and one's the child? I, I love that. And I, I think, and I think that JB and, and, Anne and I can 
all relate to this and you've probably heard it before. It absolutely drives me nuts. And this just pertains to dentists. And I'm sure that orthopedic surgeons and other <laughs> doctors all the same. have something else that they say. <laughs> yeah. But it drives me nuts. Like when you're out and one of your buddies is like, hey, you know, check out this new Rolex that I bought. It's only eight more crowns this year. I I cannot stand that mindset. And it and and I've heard people say it so many times, it just drives me nuts. And so when you're speaking to that, that's the way that I kind of relate to it. And I, I hear somebody in the back of my, my head saying, oh, that's only eight more crowns or, or five more root canals or this or that. And it's like, okay, whatever, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of the wrong mindset, but do what you wish, you know? Well, and it's really that, it is the blending of kind of the... Um, business mindset and profit maximization and the medical ethic of doing what's right for the client. Sure. Patient, sure, sure. Right? And like, how do we find that balance or tension between those two things between profit motive and ethical patient care yeah. and yeah. how much treatment do they need? And it can be a cycle, right? If you're hyper-focused on materialism, there's some psychological research that says that you're after you likely have a lower sense of personal security lower sense of self and so you're using the materialistic orientation to compensate for that and so that's not to you one way to look at it and so i think you you have to hit some soul searching sometimes and say what am i what's really important to me and you know i'm nothing against rolex watches or nice cars they're they're great things if they fit within your budget but yeah if you're consumed with that it can be a real challenge or if your partner is and one of the lenses that I've really come to have to look at more closely and it's been challenging is beneath that and in that developmental history, where's the trauma for my clients? Because the trauma is what sets the stage for an insecure sense of self, right? I When you have bad things happen to you, whether it's emotional abuse or neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, parental addiction, um, those types of things really start to erode a child's sense of self. And we can use our professional identities to try to overcompensate for those insecurities and those past pains. But it's like a, it becomes an addiction where you just, you can't outperform yourself into feeling good about yourself. Mm. And so that's where feeling good about yourself becomes more of an inside job than an outside job. So, so I'm going to say, I have so many questions. I'm not going to get to all of them, but uh, my first question, uh, I'm asking this one for a friend. Yes. Has um, <laughs> uh, the advent of Amazon changed the uh, conversations that you have amongst your clientele? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's just changed from home shopping network to Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> QVC. Nice yeah, throwback. Q- QVC, yeah. absolutely. Oh, QVC, yeah. Do you yeah. get a lot, like a bigger uptick in appointments during Prime Day? Yeah, or after, like the week, the month yeah. after, the the books are. Yeah. I wish fuller. I could flip my camera right now to everything that arrived on Prime Day. Okay. <laughs> Prime Day. <laughs> Hold on, it's like uh, that's funny. No, you mean so. the reality is we live in an environment that's ever increasingly easier to buy things. So yes, I think just for the everyday person, it's much easier to spend than it ever has been. Right. Like, and look, it's the, the, so marketers are, the marketers are the best psychologists out there. 
Yeah. They understand people better than psychologists. And the therapist, when I started to try to tell them this, when I was training, did not like it. And, you know, understanding how someone works psychologically doesn't always mean you're using it for their good. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a whole field called neuromarketing, which basically studies how your brain responds to marketing images mm-hmm. to increase your rate of buying and consumption, right? Again, this yes. is the whole business side of things. And so, look, I, you know, we live in a capitalist society. I function as a capitalist. Most of us do. And it depends on how extreme you become about it, really, I guess. So so let's get deep. Here. I hope your friend got the answer they wanted. Oh, I think I knew the answer. Those are not your friend boxes. <laughs> Jeff, uh, we, we do have an eight o'clock appointment for our family tomorrow morning, correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, so I, I want to get deep here for a second. And, and Jeff and, and I mean, Jeff and Jeff, um, Jeff's texting and sitting there. Jeff's and, our other and, co-host. Whoever the hell you I, are. I answered a lot of Maybe whatever you are. Okay. Ed and Ann, you both can probably participate in this, but if you've got a young dentist that's just graduating from dental school and let's say that they have a lot of debt, which is maybe a good possibility these days, what is the most solid piece of advice that you could give them or where would you say that they start? Because I've seen a lot of really good questions about income, about investing, about saving. I, I've seen a lot of horrible questions about, hey, do you know a good Porsche dealer in uh, in Napa, you know, California? Because I just signed as an associate there and I got a $300,000 bonus or whatever. But no, what's the best piece of advice that you can give someone that's just starting out that's really looking towards financial independence and maybe an early retirement? Uh well, you answer and then I'll, I'll, I'll you, you formulate your answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think probably my best piece of advice. I mean, I, I graduated at a time when I was able to dial back my, my loan rates and, and have an interest rate that was really low. Friends of mine that graduated five years, 10 years later, totally different story. So right now I'm sure they're running into a whole different situation in terms of how much interest they're paying on their loans. I had lots of friends, either general dentists or if they specialized, went out, bought like a Mercedes, bought a Porsche, but whatever it was, they got something big is live below what you think you can. Don't buy a house like they'll approve you for some huge amount. Get a smaller house. Start off early. If the student loans are the biggest kind of debt piece, then maybe being an associate having a retirement plan with some, you know, corporation might be a really good option, but invest early, put away some money because then if you decide to buy a practice or buy into a practice and your income kind of takes takes a dip before it comes back up, at least you've got some of that nest egg growing in the interim and that's working for you. Like the compounding interest in the time is going to work for you. So it might, I, I can't speak because their situation might not be the same, but I'd say invest a chunk early as much as you can live below your means. I, I think I'm fortunate that I'm not as driven or attracted by shiny objects. So like a Rolex or a fancy card isn't the thing that, you know, attracts me the most, but I had plenty of friends where that was the case, but try to try to live more frugally than maybe you think you should because you just graduated and you're like, I've got 
DDS or DMD after my name and I can just do whatever I want, it'll catch up with you quickly. And I have, you know, some friends that haven't invested and we're now, I mean, we graduated in 2005, so 17 years out and like retirement is not there or not growing and that will catch up quickly. And it, it worries me um, for them. And I, I hope that, you know, they can invest and try to catch up. But sometimes when you've started early, even if you've got gaps, like I had gaps when I bought my practice and we were paying staff on credit cards just to keep them and like barely making it by. And it was lean, slim pickings. He wasn't working. We had no medical benefits. You know, we had. Damn you, Ed. Weren't working. I know, well. right? So, but it all it all worked out. But it, <laughs> don't really? go in the shame spiral. This goes, the shame spiral. No, we can go all night. Girls yeah. are really good at this. Really good. So, I guess that's a long winded answer to say live below your means. You know, if the student loans are a big, I love it. You know, debt worry or concern, maybe just getting your clinical skills like really solid under your belt, working for somebody else. It's probably a really good idea. And then figure out where you want to put down your roots, where you want to buy a practice, if you want to buy a practice, but try to do that and get some of those debts like down or get that nest egg at least started. So I'll turn over to the financial guy, but that's my two cents. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the financial side of things, right? And that's the obvious stuff that we talk about and getting that foundational knowledge about how money works and it's specifically around compound interest. That's like, if you want to learn a financial concept and you're 26 and just came out of dental school, start with compound interest. Mm -hmm. Just go straight to that. Forget budgeting, forget anything else, learn compound interest and understand that concept and see what that does for you. Um, But I think at a more practical level, and I, you know, it's funny, I was doing a presentation for a group of planners earlier today and they said, one of the planners said, you know, one of the most important questions I've learned to ask every one of my clients is what did you see your parents do with money? And, mm. and how has that shaped your financial expectations? And bringing that into your financial consciousness to recognize what you're doing and what you may be re- reacting to or reacting against is very important, right? So you, you may have a, den- a new dentist that just came out of dental school and their parents were both dentists, which is pretty high, you know, yeah. I'm surprised at how many yeah. multi-generational dental families. And so they've seen what mom and dad have been able to kick off and do in the life that they lived. And they're rushing as fast as they can to get back to that standard of living because mom and dad aren't going to fully fund it for them. Yeah. So that's, Sometimes they will. So that's one side of it, right? But the other side of it is that student that comes from a more working class or poor background who's worked their ass off, gotten good grades. And now all of a sudden they're in this whole new financial world where it's like, head spinning almost what they can do or not do. And what does that mean? And so you have kind of different journeys. And I think, so one compound interest is very practical to know about your parents and your parents' history and how are you responding to that? But then three, if soon as you get into an intimate relationship, you better stop talk, talking money with them Yeah, because your real, your real risk is not under accumulating is divorce. You want to blow up a financial plan quickly, get divorced. Yep. And the challenge is divorce usually happens in your mid forties to early fifties, which wipes out any progress that you have made. And so carrying the alimony, carrying the child support burden, you know, and this is not anybody that's been through divorce or feeling this, please hear no shame or condemnation. Entering into divorce is a big mess. And I know you didn't choose to go there, but if you can get into marriage counseling early, 
if you're having any kind of relationship problems, right? I mean, you guys know this in dentistry too, how much worse things get each six months, someone defers dealing with periodontal disease. Uh-huh. Right. If you're having relationship distress, yeah, that might be normal, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. Yeah. You might have a little pain in your bite and that might be normal. You know, everyone's teeth hurt a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean it's good, buddy. Come on. <laughs> so, right. Like the sooner you can get intervention, the research shows that most people don't end up in marriage counseling until about seven years. Well, can you imagine delaying treatment on periodontal disease for seven years? Mm-hmm. How many teeth do you have left? Right. The reality is most of the couples that are coming to see me are having in relationship heart attack. Sad. Get, it's really sad. It's and sad. it's very hard to help them come back from that because by that time they're deep in content. They're deep in resentment. They're deep in the financial hole and it's a long journey out. And so I'm not a miracle worker. I mean, the Ed and or Lorraine, whoever the wizards were, might they might be able to do it, but <laughs> we don't have financial exorcisms that I can perform. No. I mean, therapy, people <laughs> want fast, quick therapy, but the reality is therapy is slow and process-oriented and for tough. the most part. It's it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it does work if you'll give it the time to do it. I think, well, one, y'all brought up some... This should be like a must watch for new grads to figure out next steps. Oh my God. Um, I think what I said, of course, yeah, for sure. Because I think the other thing that no one ever talks about is this is a perishable skill. It doesn't last forever. You know uh, what we do is mental and and physical and emotional as well. And, And we all know folks who've had to leave the industry early for different reasons or hobble through longer than they had to because of financial um, concerns. And so, you know, I think, and you kind of danced around it, but what I heard is, you know, living within your means and managing your debt or eliminating your debt is freedom. It's freedom to choose. It's freedom to open a practice. It's freedom to retire. It's freedom to quit. It's freedom to do something different. Uh, It's freedom to work three days a week, 12 days a week, whatever it is that you want to do, not being a service to your debt is what gives you those professional freedoms. And especially with a skill that is so perishable as what we have. If your eyes give, your ears give, your neck gives, your back gives, your hips, your legs, whatever it is, or just your general emotional and mental stability give, then not having the debt to service gives you the freedom to to choose. And and I, I love that. I love that that was a part of your message. Um, and the other piece of that that very few people talk about is how much pressure or bad advice comes from the dental supply reps. And look, we've got vendors on our, our channel and they participate. And and it's not that they're ill intent, intended, but, you know, oh, you just section 179 it. Don't worry about it. You'll just, yes. you'll work that, you'll work that out later. And what no one tells you is five years in, there's no more tax advantage, but there's all the payments that you now are servicing mm-hmm. that you aren't making enough money to pay. And so, um, you know, finding good counsel, either through a good financial therapist, a good financial planner, somebody who's got your back a little bit more than those who are making, Someone that's not selling you a product. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. If they're selling you a product, mm-hmm. they do not have your full best interest in mind. So how does one find, because I even struggle with this, how does one find good support from someone who just generally wants you as an individual or a couple to be successful financially and are going to sell you an insurance policy or a CIRAC machine or, you know, whatever else it is that they might have in their bag. Well, I think one of the best things that you can do is actually start talking to your peers that are 15 to 20 years older than you. And you got to talk to five to 10 of them minimum and ask them about who's in your corner and counseled you. Who have you worked with in the past? What did you learn? And what are you learning now? Because that's, a big piece is the financial mentorship and relationship mentorship and senior docs don't have anything to get from you. Mm. Right. They're, I mean, what, what's their motive yeah. unless they want to try to sell you your practice, but you're already in practice. And you, so as yeah. colleagues, they don't have a whole lot to lose. And there's not a lot of like um, cost to them, to be honest. And, you know, what you're going to start finding out is some of them are going to say, man, I haven't talked about this. I waited too long. I wish I would have started when you are. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's that valuable. But you might write you know, that down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> write that down. But you're also going to, you're going to find that one or two docs that's going to point you to the advisors that are in the know, that are really the ones that are advocates for dentists. And that, you know, there's a lot of people that put dentists on their top list. So I came up. You know, so I left firefighting. The first place that I went to was to work for a financial planning firm, read <laughs> insurance yeah. agency. Yes. I was 24, 25 years old. I got my life and health insurance license. And they said, you know, who do you want to target? And they said, oh, you're married to a dentist. You should target dentist. Mm-hmm. And the reality is someone that is brand new to the financial services industry, excuse my language, doesn't know their head from their ass. Yeah. And they get trained sales techniques on products. They really have no idea about how the products work mathematically or financially. It's a huge risk to you. And so I'm a huge proponent. This is a general statement, but I think the folks, and I'll I'll name them. I think the two financial planning organizations that have the highest standards for ethics and professionalism are NAPFA, the National Association for Personal Financial Advisors. They only allow fee-only advisors in their network. So no commissions. And then you have the XY planning network, which is also a fee only network of financial planners. And they they will do different fee structures with you. And so I think that those are two groups to really start looking around and and poking around. But you want to know what what is their level of experience? How what percentage of your practice is dentist? Because there's industry specific knowledge about the numbers you should be shooting for, and this is something we found in our own financial planning journey of working with different planners. Is we've and had a couple accounts and accountants, and we've had different planners where it's like <clears throat> you get you, you go talk to two different planners, you give them the same set of data, and they come out with very different recommendations mm-hmm. and different approaches too, and what they're telling you about how much you should save does matter. Thank you. I like that. I'm going like to post your book tomorrow and yeah. Um, Cause I want folks to have other avenues to um, access your information and we'll post the links to your current podcast yes. um, and other avenues to, to reach out to you because 
I feel very confident that this number one will resonate with so many of our members, but two, I also feel very confident that many of us would directly benefit from having someone like you or you in our lives uh, to help improve our marriages, our relationship with money, um, and just lead us towards a, a better professional and personal success. So thank you for taking time out to educate folks and continue to push your passion, um, which I think is, is truly beautiful. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to be at this stage in the game. You, I, we heard you talking about having the young dentist or aspiring dentist in your office. And, you know, that's the nice thing about being in our forties at this point, right? Is we do have enough wisdom and perspective to really be helpful. Mm-hmm. And we still have a lot of longevity ahead of us. So that's we have right. a lot to look forward to. And, you know, helping as many dentists get comfortable with their finances. And the statistics, I don't know the current statistics off the top, top of my head, but when you look at dental economics and some of these other trade pubs that put out statistics about how many dentists are underfunded for retirement, it's staggering. It's staggering. It yeah. is 40 to 60%, something like that, at least. And if you think about how much money is going to pass through your hands over the course of a 25-year, 30-year career, there's just no reason for that. Mm -hmm. And and yet there are so many psychological reasons that that happens. And so if you find that you're struggling to get on track with with your personal finances, a financial therapist is who you want to work with. If you're in a place where you're ready to take action and implement financial recommendations and you and your partner are on the same page and can execute, a financial planner is who you want to work with, right? So I'm more like, if you have trouble with dieting and staying on a diet, you come see me. If you have trouble with your money diet, you come see me. That's right. If you know how to diet and you can go work out at the gym and you're looking to tweak and improve, go work with a financial planner. I love it. I love it. Thank Dad, you, you need all. both. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and you always need a financial planner. In my yeah. book, you always need a financial planner because Here's the other value that a financial planner plays. They're a neutral third party. They're, they're not going to bed with either of you, hopefully. <laughs> In the best case scenario. But, yes. But here's the other trap that a lot of money experts, part-time money experts, try to convince their spouse that their ideas are the right ideas to do. Uh, made this mistake many, many times. And she's not convinced that my ideas are the best ideas. And I'm not really doing a great job of trying to understand what her ideas are. Yeah. So he wasn't a neutral third party. Let's put it that way. So no, yeah, I had work. my own interests that I was more That's interested right. in representing than hers. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. We all do. And <laughs> it's human. It's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, like, because, you know, the other thing is you can over defer and be like, whatever you want, honey, whatever you yeah. want. Yeah. You know, that phrase, happy wife, happy life, biggest line of crap. <laughs> yeah, but you well, also are riding the Titanic simultaneously. Like, you're, yeah, you're basically yeah. saying, yeah. I'm not the captain, not my fault. Whatever yeah. happens, happens. I yeah. mean, he made all the decisions, but we're still sinking in the ocean. So yeah. probably going to have to get involved at some point. And I'm going to get in the dinghy, so good luck. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wives and children, all Adult gone. Two. Yeah, Adults adults we are adults which means we have to do adulting hashtag adulting Uh, hashtag hard hashtag hard hey one thing i was thinking you were asking about other really good advice i think the other side note not to get on a too big of a tangent but 
disability insurance. Oh, 100%. That really early. I think I got very lucky. They did a presentation when I was in dental school and I got it before I'd even graduated. And I had a couple, there's a couple people, like one, the class ahead and one, I think behind. And he had the two guys actually on both of them had to drop out for different reasons because they already had issues before they even graduated. And then I've met probably half a dozen people over the years that had to, you know, retire early, like in their 30s or early 40s for head, neck other pain issues, it's such a big deal. And if you can get it before you get sick or before you have problems, it's such a big deal. And get the ONOC clause so that if you can't actually be a dentist, you get the disability insurance. Yes. Some of them, yeah. they're like, oh, it's a cheaper policy. But if you can be a teacher or a janitor, you're screwed. You're good. You're screwed. You don't get any benefit. So trying to make sure that it's specific, like if you can't be a dentist, you can function in every aspect of your life, but you've got that little bit of tremor that obviously is not going to work well holding a drill, then you can retire as a dentist and actually get the benefits. So that I thought of it while we were all talking and because, you know, it does happen is probably just emphasizing that. And that can be at any age. If you haven't gotten it and you're 40 and you're still healthy, you're 50 and you're still healthy. I still think there's a benefit unless you have already invested really well and you're like, hey, I can fund my retirement and I can retire early at 50. Maybe you don't need it. But if you haven't done anything, it's probably still a good safety net for you and your family. Well, that's our next show with them. We'll have you back. Okay. We're going to do the top 10 things you have to know yep. financially to not They're suck. Fun. That's a I catchy think we title, do right? Like 10 guests, we bring them on individually. And like Anne's would be disability insurance. Yes. And then we have another guest that's like, uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. No but divorce. Just, and that no, guy no has, divorce, yeah. guy or gal yeah. has to have had yeah. minimum of three. And then the, oh, the yeah. next guest would be like, no Amazon. And that's Chad. Correct. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Hey, thank you I'll be so your much. section 179 gal. I'm happy yeah. to yeah. jump on that grenade. Happy fun there. Thank y'all <laughs> so much for joining us tonight. Yeah. Thanks, thank uh, you for having Chad. us. Thanks, Good thank night. Yep. Good night, right. everybody. Bye. And that wraps up another podcast for Dentists in the Know. On behalf of Dr. Jennifer Bell, Dr. Chad Duplantis, and myself, remember that we've got a great profession, so let's make it a great day, dinks. <laughs>